Hello and welcome to The Dine One Six, a food podcast about Sacramento. I'm your host, Max Connor, and I have to say I'm really excited to share this episode with you. I mean, I'm excited about every episode because this is a passion project for me. But this one in particular was pretty exciting. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think of when you think of food and the word innovation? Maybe it conjures up the image of a hot new chef delving into the world of molecular gastronomy, plating dishes with vegetable foams and spheres of olive oil, or maybe dunking a burger patty in liquid nitrogen after it's cooked and then throwing it in the fryer to create a perfect outer crust. But today, I'm not going to be talking about chefs. I'm going to be talking about a company that's developed an innovation that could change the entire course of our food system. That company is the Better Meat Co., located in West Sacramento. And their innovation is the Ryza Microprotein, which is a plant-based protein made from mycelium, which is essentially the fibrous root system of mushrooms. I'm not talking about portobellos or morels. We're talking about small fungi here. Their special microflora is fed simple starches and sugars like potatoes. And with just a few hours of fermentation, they have a yield of rhizomicroprotein. Now, I realize that half of what I just said doesn't make any sense, but it will after you listen to this episode. Essentially, the Better Meat Co. has found a way to make an incredibly protein-rich food that can be used for everything from protein bars to mixing in with chicken nuggets to even creating whole meats. So one day, you could have a plant-based steak or bacon. All this is done using far less energy, land, and water than raising animals, and also less resources than most of the other plant-based protein products on the market. My main guest today is the Executive Vice President of the Better Meat Co., Doni Kirkendall. Doni said she never planned on working in food science or production, or really in the food world at all. Which is funny, because she fits right in on this show. Early in the interview, You'll hear her talk about how eating should be a rich and vibrant experience. In fact, she said that if it isn't an experience that brings joy, then it's hardly worth it. And that's a pretty fantastic attitude for someone who's helping lead a food technology company that has extremely lofty goals of not only curbing the devastating environmental impact of factory farming, but also addressing the crisis of feeding a rapidly growing global population and doing it by creating a product that's meant to be sustainable, nutrient-rich, and most importantly, delicious. I visited Doni at the Better Meat Co. headquarters in West Sacramento, and in addition to her interview, we took a tour of the research and development facility, where I met some other Better Meat team members. I touched and smelled some of the freshly produced Ryza product, sampled the difference in several different dried plant-based proteins, and even chowed down on some very tasty better meat bacon. You'll hear all that in this episode. But I'm going to start the show with some sound from my tour, where Doni was explaining a massive mural that is painted on the wall of the food laboratory. And that mural, and her explanation, lays out the foundation of the Better Meat Co.'s mission. Basically, our 
you know, representation of what kind of has happened with animal agriculture. We started out as hunters and gatherers and we would go out and search for our food. We soon found ways to start herding them and getting them closer to where we are. And now we're at the point where we cage them, we put them in really small confinement and we're to the point where they can't even turn around, they can barely walk around. And so our view for the future is that we're gonna create, you know, through the power of fermentation, a stream or a river of Riza um, that can feed the growing population of our earth. Yeah, it's really cool. I like it. It's, it's, really, it's really neat. Okay, so I'm here in the meeting space with Doni Kirkendall, who is, Doni, what is your title again here at the Better Meat Company? I'm Executive Vice President, and I manage the three main branches are HR, Finance, and Operations. Okay, cool. We're here to talk about Better Meat, but I always just love to my guests, the show's all about food and people's relationship to it and how it affects our culture and our relationships with our family and friends. So tell me a little bit about just the role food played in your house growing up and, and how that may have played a role in you wanting to work in the food industry. Yeah, I am so lucky. I grew up with parents who loved cooking, especially my mom. We I was born in Mexico City, and food is huge in Mexico City. Um, she grew up learning recipes from her grandmother and her mother, and so there's a lot of tradition in our family. I was lucky enough to be a recipient of that, and so growing up, I got to eat the most delicious food. And the way I view food is an experience more than just you know, just needing it to live. So even now when I eat something, even something simple to me means something. It has to have a great experience. It has to make me happy. So that's how I view food and that's how I grew up with food. Uh, to this day, I'm so lucky again that my mom still cooks. She loves it and it's a huge part of what brings us together as a family. Oh, that's really neat. So have you made any, have you taken any better meat products yet and made some of grandma's classic Mexican recipes? Absolutely. Actually, last week we had a potluck here at our company and my mom took a recipe called tinga. It's originally made from beef in a chipotle type red sauce and she put soy meat in it and mushrooms to recreate that meat texture that you normally get from the beef. I am so amazed at my mom's ability to make that dish better than the original and I'm not exaggerating and she did it for me and I'm so appreciative of it and I just she can't she ceases to amaze me <laughs> that's cool so no backlash from your mom and traditional what is this fake meat like is she's all about making it happen with new products and with the vegetable base products oh absolutely she's super open to it you know I think also especially in my background we have a lot of heart disease uh, diabetes unfortunately because people eat so much meat so much cholesterol and so anytime that I introduce my family to something healthier for them something that's better for the environment as well they're completely open to it so and it's actually fun it's fun for somebody who likes to cook to explore and try new things yeah cool so Tell me a little bit about your training, background, education, you know, what sort of led you to this position of working in meatless meat production? 
Yeah, so I went to the University of Colorado at Boulder and I studied political science and Spanish literature, so nothing to do with what I do now. And then I joined a company, a nonprofit organization as a receptionist. I worked there for a few years. Uh, thankfully, I had great mentors, great leaders who really pushed us to, to get to the top and, and do better. And they actually helped me uh, financially obtain my uh, master's in business administration at Sac State. So I was able to then take that program, work full time, and then once I graduated, yeah, I was promoted to uh, an operations position where I learned so much. I'm so grateful. Uh, Goodwill Industries is the organization that I worked for. They were extremely helpful for me. I learned so much. And I never, ever thought that I would be working in the food industry because I knew nothing about it. And honestly, I just didn't really pay much attention. So I fell into this position really by pure luck. I had a friend who knew that I was doing operations at Goodwill. I was managing logistics, transportation, retail. I was managing over 250 employees. So I kind of had that background of running, somewhat running a company. And so she connected me with the CEO at this company, Better Meet Co., and his name is Paul Shapiro. I spoke to him and he shared with me his mission for the company, his outlook on the food industry, and his belief that we need to change the system fundamentally to really make an impact and save our planet and provide for the growing population. And that really resonated with me. And I truly came to believe that I could make a bigger impact doing something like this than I could at a nonprofit that is doing great things every day they help people but I just felt that like the scale could be a lot more impactful doing what I'm doing now got it yeah you talked a little bit about why you wanted to get into the world of meat production so how did Better Meat Co get started Better Miko was founded by Paul Shapiro and he is a longtime animal rights advocate he was an executive at the Humane Society for over 20 years and really has been a huge leader in the animal rights scene. And so he wrote a book called Clean Meat. And Clean Meat is about what is called now cultivated meat, which is basically taking cells from animals and growing meat that way without the need to actually raise a full animal. And that was really what kind of kickstarted that idea of, you know, there are companies and so many people doing so many amazing things to end the slaughter of animals and to create a more sustainable food system. And so what he thought was, you know, I could continue to write about them and which would be great, but I could also become one of those people who is making a huge change. And that's really what started the idea of the Better Meat Co. Cool. So then how did he end up in particularly using sort of mycelium, which are these, you know, fungal-based and fermentation-based products? And I think there's a, there's a few other companies doing it, and I know there's a company that makes something called corn that was developed in Britain way back in the 60s. I think what you guys do is sort of the next version of that, but it's been around for a little while. So how did he decide to sort of jump into this particular field had he done a bunch of research on his own and sort of knew what was out there and thought this might be the way to go I'll sort of start a company and hire the researchers and the scientists to create our own microprotein or how did that process go the way that the better Miko was started was the idea was that we were going to make formulations based on wheat soy or pea protein that would be mixed with 
natural flavorings, fiber, fats, to create an ingredient that could really blend seamlessly with meat. That way we could sell this ingredient to meat companies and they could use a lot less animals in their food, but still provide a delicious, amazing product. We currently do that and we have been selling to Purdue Farms since 2019. They're actually using our ingredient, which is pea-based, and blending it with real chicken to make chicken nuggets, chicken tenders. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was their chicken nugget was rated the best tasting frozen chicken nugget on the market. So the product has been very successful and the idea of blending with meat is amazing. You save animals, you create delicious products that people can't even tell the difference. But then we actually, the Better Meat Co. actually acquired a smaller company called Rise of Foods that was doing fermentation of fungi. And so that's kind of how that came into the Better Meat Co. And we started to focus a little bit more on that. And that's really what the primary area of our company is. And that's where the research comes in. And yeah, we basically decided to hire a lot of experts and scientists and food scientists, product developers to start really learning more about our organism and how to ferment it and what the process would look like. And we've achieved a major scale up in a very short amount of time. The size of our reactor, the size of our team has really grown significantly, especially in the last two years, which is surprising knowing that COVID hit Um, (laughs) We faced a lot of challenges, but we were able to do it. And it's something that we're very, very proud of is, you know, being able to scale up at the rate that we have in such a short period of time. And just to note on corn, we all love corn products and we call them the OGs of the mycoprotein. Okay, the OG, the mycoprotein. That's cool. So tell us a little bit about kind of the process, like what is mycelium? What is the rise of mycoprotein without getting into anything proprietary, obviously, but just sort of, you know, what is it for people who don't know anything about corn or these new products that are fermented and grown from from fungus? Definitely. So what we do is we take a microorganism. In our case, it's fungi. And we use the power of fermentation to grow mycelium. Mycelium is essentially the root system of a mushroom. The mushroom is basically the fruiting body of a fungi. But what we're doing is we're growing mycelium. And we're turning that mycelium into an ingredient that is used as the basis for plant-based meats or to blend with real meat. The reason it works so well is one, it's a whole food. When it comes out, it's a whole food, contains protein, contains more fiber, iron, potassium. It is naturally containing B12. It's an incredible food. Not only that, but it has naturally the texture and the look of meat. It actually looks like shredded chicken almost when you pull it apart. And I'll show you, Max, you'll see what I'm talking about a little bit later. But it that's essentially what we're growing through the power of fermentation. So rather than, you know, taking an animal and raising it for, you know, a year, however long it takes to raise an animal, feeding it, you know, destroying the land around it, we're taking a fermenter, we're feeding our organism, and we're growing mycelium making it into an ingredient that is dry, shelf-stable, easy to transport, and blends seamlessly with other ingredients to make either plant-based meat or blends great with regular meat. Okay. And it grows, from what I understand, it grows really fast too, right? I mean, the the production time on taking a little bit and creating a lot is really fast, isn't it? 
definitely. The, our process right now takes less than a day. Wow. All right, so this is a good time to step back into the Better Meat facility, where I met Catherine Rui, who's a process development engineer at the Better Meat Co. And she showed me how they take this fermented slurry and essentially just squeeze the water out of it to make a product that seems almost like a hunk of meat, just like that. Hi, Catherine. Catherine. Nice to meet you. I'd shake your hand, but I see you got gloves on. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so Catherine, can you tell us a little bit about what the squeeze test is? Sure. Uh, so if you look over here, um, this is a jug containing the slurry that we harvested uh, this past Thursday from our pilot scale run. Um, so what I'm showing you here is, let me shake it up because it's really thick, so I need to okay. make sure it's all homogenous. Uh, but this is what it looks like when you're harvesting directly from the fermenter, when it's right ready for harvest, very thick, high yield. Um, and then, sorry. Uh, so then when you pour it out, it's more of still like very watery applesauce-like mm -hmm. consistency. Yeah. But what I'm going to show you is just our simple dewatering process in the lab scale. Uh, and how you get that meat-like texture really easily just through our dewatering process. Do you all ever take just a plain riza and throw it in a pan and cook it with salt and pepper and try it by itself? Yes. I have tried it, yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. And we so at this point, Catherine's taken this big jug of what looks like applesauce and poured some of it into a smaller jug filled with basically coffee filters or paper towels and is just squeezing the water out of it. A lot like if you were making hash browns at home and you shredded the potatoes and then put them between paper towels and pushed down on it to get all the water out. And she does this and lo and behold. As you can see, Max, so oh, this dang. is the dewatered product. And you can see as Catherine pulls it apart, it looks like shredded meat. So you can see all the beautiful fibers in there yeah. that pull apart very nicely the same way that a chicken breast would once you boil it. That's really cool, that's amazing. <laughs> And the color is even very neutral. It looks very much chicken. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wow. If you, you it does, it, yeah. It feels... I mean, if I were to, like, almost macerate a chicken breast exactly. and then pull it out, that's, that is what it feels like. That's crazy. <laughs> cool. The power of mycelium. Yeah. It doesn't smell like much. It smells almost just like a little bit of good bread dough. It really was amazing. I mean, she basically took this applesauce slurry and just squeezed the water out of it. And it came together in this hunk that when you sort of pulled it apart, looked basically like shredded chicken. And you could see how a product like that would work so well to blend in with other meats or even to reorient the fibers to make a whole cut of meat. So what do you feed it? I know some are fed sugars and other things. I've read a little bit and I, I know talking to you last time when we did an event for the Sacramento Business Journal that some of what you could do eventually too is partner with farms and take potato products or other sort of leftover produce waste and essentially use that as food for the protein. So is that what you're doing now or what do you feed it primarily right now? Yes, it our organism thankfully has a great digestive system and like you mentioned, we feed it sugars, starches, and we would love to take agricultural Byproducts and feed it, such as potatoes. You know, there are so many things that we could feed our organism. And so that's really the beauty of the organism that we're using is that it has a great digestive system and we can feed it lots of different things. 
how does kind of mycelium base and your rise of microprotein, how do those products that are fermented and grown from fungi different from impossible meats or beyond meats that take a whole bunch of different proteins and they found a way to kind of mush them together? What's sort of the, the biggest differences? Well, I want to point out that we're an ingredients company. We're not necessarily making a final product such as a burger the way that Impossible and Beyond are doing. They're primarily using textured vegetable proteins to make those meats. So a textured vegetable protein is essentially, let's take pea, for example. You grow a field of peas, you harvest it, but then you have to isolate the protein. So you have to take out all the fiber, all the oils from the pea, and then isolate it. And then you have to fractionate it, and then you have to extrude it. These are all very costly processes that take a lot of resources, such as water, just to create a textured protein that will give you the level of protein that you want and the feeling and texture of meat. Our product doesn't have to do that, right? It's naturally meat-like and it naturally contains high levels of protein, fiber, all these other nutrients. And so it's different in that we, our ingredient is basically taking the place of that textured vegetable protein without having to process it in the way that a regular TVP has to be processed. Okay. So they would essentially use our type of microprotein in, in place of TPP. Okay, got it. What's your name, by the way? Oh, uh, I'm Hunter Davis. I Hunter am Davis. the uh, VP Product Development. So I've been in alt meat and uh, really micro technology since uh, about 10 years now. Okay, cool. So these are the ingredients that are used to make, we'll say, you know, 99% of the alt meat products out there. I mean, you've got exceptions. So Hunter puts down three of these maybe two inch tall glass vials filled with these vegetable proteins. And they look just sort of like some sort of grain or loose ingredient you would find in the bulk section at a Sprouts or a Winco. But the idea is one of these ingredients are providing the texture for usually what you're eating. Uh, you know, in Beyond Impossible, both use some of these. Or So here we have pea protein, which is considered the most flavor active, but also the least offensive in terms of allergenicity. Okay. So allergenicity is this thing that, you know, you get with almost any protein source. Anybody can be allergic to almost any protein. They res generate a allergen response more than any other compound. Okay. So we'll if you want to taste this, this is texturized pea protein. Uh, most of the carbohydrates used for pea protein is used in Asian and China areas for um, things like glass noodle production. Okay. So there's a huge uh, side stream that is generated. In the past, pea protein was fed mostly to animals. Um, but you know, now it's being identified as a protein source that is very nutritious, doesn't have any carb, any, um, uh, I'm sorry, what is the fat that's present in animal sources? I'm blanking here. Cholesterol. Cholesterol, thank you. Doesn't have any cholesterol, it has very low uh, fat. But in order to get this, you have to take, or you have to grow the pea, you have to extract the pea protein, you have to isolate the pea protein, which is its own separate process, and then you have to extrude it. Uh, in this case, it's called low moisture extrusion. So what did you think of that? What did you think it tasted like? 
it I mean it doesn't have a ton of flavor right it just tastes a little bit you can taste a little bit maybe that like if I didn't know it was from peas I wouldn't be sure but you can taste just like a little teeny hint of like the shell of a green pea almost. and the right. texture what did you think um yeah it's like a it's it's you know kind of like slightly more chewy cereal cereal yeah. yeah yeah it's either cereal or a lot of people will pick up on some green notes mm. you know things like chewing grass sometimes so that is the most flavor active but least uh you know allergenetic when you say flavor active like has the strongest flavors okay. yeah so okay, gotcha. basically what happens is so next i tried some dry soy protein and again, it tasted just sort of like dried cereal, not much flavor, less even than the pea protein. Hunter said the big problem with soy protein is that obviously lots of people are allergic to soy. And then I tried a little bit of the dried Ryza microprotein that they make. So this is our Ryza product by itself. So no f uh, additional processing have been done to it. That is straight out of the dryer. Okay. So go ahead and hydrate that with your saliva, see what you think. Does that have any mm. more meat-like characteristics than... Yeah. And immediately when it hydrates, then it has chew to it. Something mm. that has a lot more fibrousness to it than the pea proteins like cereal. And the soy is also like flavorless, really dry mm -hmm. cereal. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. So when you and I talked about, you know, you asked me why, how is impossible, how is beyond different than what you're doing, and I talked a little bit about, well, you know, we could be that replacement of their TBP that they're using because yeah. our ingredient just naturally is meaty. Um, so all it really requires is just some additional hydration and some addition of, you know, natural flavors and fats and whatever you want, and it just it just behaves very much like animal meat. And it really does. It's pretty wild. The other two proteins were just kind of like dried cereal in your mouth. A little bit chewier, maybe. But then the rise of microprotein, you put it in your mouth and it just expands into these chewy little nuggets. Well, this was flavorless. It didn't have anything added to it. But you could just feel the consistency in your mouth was drastically different. What is kind of the future, the hope for the company? Do you guys hope to get into the game of like, hey, we're going to sell better Miko steaks, or are you more interested in we're just going to grow the Ryza and then we can let somebody else really do the development, or do you guys hope to make better meat steaks? We're open to all possibilities, but truly, Max, our goal is to curb the use of animals for food, and the fastest way we can get to that is by focusing on creating this ingredient, scaling up, and then being able to sell the ingredient to multiple different companies so that they can then use less animals, use less, let's say, TVP for their products. That's the fastest way we're going to make an impact on the food system. We are working so quickly because we just don't have a lot of time. We, our planet isn't getting bigger. Our footprint is, is getting bigger. We are going to have 10 billion people in the next couple of decades and we need to figure out a way to feed them today if we don't do something right away we're not going to be able to feed all those people sustainably and so of course we're open to going you know becoming a cpg at some point maybe but right now our focus is on scaling up getting this product out using less animals for food and saving our planet as fast as we can got it um so talk a little bit about that lots of people maybe know you know tangentially what they've heard about 
industrial farming and its impact on the environment, but as someone who probably knows more about it than your average person, give us a little bit of an insight into just how destructive environmentally factory farming and industrial farming is. Sure. Well, global food production generates more than 17 billion metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions, which is extremely terrible if you really think about it. And animal-based foods account for 57% of those emissions, while plant-based foods make up about 29%. Um, Beef production is actually the highest emissions contributor at 25% of that. And then that's followed by cow milk, pork, chicken, uh, and that's in, in order. And so a local or a recent UN report states that we can help the devastating effects of climate change by changing our diets and the way that we raise food. Um, and so it also highlights the need to preserve and restore forests because raising cattle, as you know, uh, raises the need to clear woodland, which causes deforestation, which we've seen those effects in Brazil and Colombia. Cows also produce large amounts of methane as they digest their food, which is, you know, very bad for the environment. So the report does state that a balanced diet that features a primarily plant-based and sustainably produced animal source food will help to curb that. And so that's how we're operating, really, is we just don't have a lot of time. We live here in California. For the last three years, we've had fires every single year that devastate and have just hurt the planet and we just are not happy with that yeah it's been wild i mean i think i have um twins that are four and i think the year they were born there was basically two months where i like couldn't even take them outside to see the sky because of the the campfire when that happened when it just blanketed you know not only destroyed an entire town but blanketed the entire sacramento valley and ash and soot and smoke for six weeks and then again maybe la two years ago when there was you know big fire up in yosemite and it is it's sad where it's just now we have fire season which is also becoming six months out of the year not like you know exactly. when i was growing i mean i do not i've lived in northern california my whole life and really the last five years have been a pretty drastic difference in the state exactly and unfortunately I, it seems like people won't change their behavior because of all the devastating effects. People won't change their behavior because they see a cow being slaughtered or because they see fires destroying the planet. They are going to make a change in their behavior when you provide them with a better option that is accessible, that is affordable, and that tastes delicious and actually I would say taste is probably number one so that's what we're aiming for is you know making our products so delicious so affordable so accessible that it will become the primary option for people when they go out to purchase ingredients and or excuse me products and that's why being a b2b company kind of makes sense for us right now mm -hmm. so that we can get more products out there you know working with great companies such as we are with Hormel right now okay what is Hormel making with better meat? You'll see. Okay. All Stay right. tuned. We're very excited. <laughs> That's awesome. So there are, we've talked a little bit about some of the other companies and, and actually a lot of, not surprisingly, I guess, but a lot of the other plant-based meat companies are based in Silicon Valley and are based in the Bay Area. Why was it important for Paul to base a, you know, essentially, I mean, it's not a tech company, but it's a company that's all about innovation and changing the world to base it here in Sacramento? 
We like being close to the San Francisco Silicon Valley area. It definitely helps when we talk to investors and, you know, being close to those startups as well. We're, we're huge supporters of a lot of the startups and companies that are over there and are very grateful for, you know, them sharing their learnings and things like that. But we realize that the quality of life and the cost of operating is much more preferable here in Sacramento. Uh, in addition, we're at the heart of the farm to fork movement. And so we thought that that's important. You know, we are working with agricultural waste products. And so it makes sense for us to be closer to that. And uh, I would say that Yolo County, which is where we're located, has been extremely welcoming to us. The city of West Sacramento in particular is making great efforts in bringing more tech companies this way, especially in food technology. And so it just made sense for us and we're very happy and, and glad that we made that decision. So you mentioned, we, we talked about we're gonna try some bacon. What's your favorite Better Meat Co. product um, or partnership currently? What's the favorite thing you've tried that came from Rise of Microprotein? We actually last year made some amazing steaks that we did serve to the public at a local restaurant called Bennett's American Cooking. And that was a great success. I was very happy and it was delicious. Um, we've also made some really tasty chicken nuggets. I love chicken nuggets. I did not grow up eating chicken nuggets. So now that I'm an adult, I have, I've had them a lot and I love them. Um, but more recently, we've developed an incredible bacon prototype that I'm really excited for you to try, Max, so you can tell me what you think. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to try that. This. All right. So this is a, up some bacon. Um, yeah, some bacon um, that contains uh, our rice ingredient. And as you can see, it cooks just like bacon. It does. It's <laughs> frying up. It's popping and sizzling. Yeah. This is Jared. He's our hey, associate Jared. chef. Hey, Jared. How you doing, Max? Nice. Nice to meet you. You guys have a uh, a working name yet for your? Not yet. For your bacon? <laughs> better bacon. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Better bacon. As you can see, it has those nice layers the same way that animal mm -hmm. bacon would have. So Chef Jared put a couple pieces of bacon on a plate and gave me a knife and fork. Hi. And then Danica Tan walked in. Danica is the food technician responsible for this new mycelium bacon. So Danica, what's your background? How did you get into... Yeah, science, um, I guess. Yeah, so I graduated uh, Sac State um, with food nutrition, and I got this job as an admin assistant. And then I kind of started throwing myself into like product development, and now I'm here as a food tech. Awesome. Yeah. This is amazing. You Delicious. like it? Yeah. Can I take a picture of you? Yeah. Yeah, it's got almost a little bit like beefier taste. Um, than regular bacon, but it's really, the chew on it in particular yeah. is amazing. Awesome. That's really tasty. Glad to hear. And yeah, the flavor is easy to, you know, manipulate. Right. Yeah. So it's really the texture that gets a little bit harder. Yeah, I It mean, really was excellent. I mean, like I said, it didn't taste exactly like bacon, but it chewed just like a piece of meat. It was salty, it had that meaty umami, it was fatty. I would have no problem throwing this mycelium bacon on a turkey sandwich or throwing it in a breakfast burrito.
and I wouldn't hesitate to make somebody a BLT with avocado on some fresh sourdough with this bacon. It was really, really good. And this is just an early prototype. This isn't even with the resources of a really large food company that could take the time to continue to improve and hone the flavor. So as nerve-wracking as it was to sit there and try this bacon in front of four people who were just awaiting my response, it was really exciting to eat. Can I eat all this? Please, it's all for you. (laughs) (laughs) The alt-protein space is kind of interesting. I know that with mycelium, that's part of the promise of it, and you just said you, you all made some steaks. I think there's even, you can go on your website, and there's a picture of, a big grilled, you know, almost looks like a sirloin roast um, yes, steak. Exactly. So how, what's the future of that look like as far as really making whole muscle cuts? Because I think that's also, I'm sure for you all, important because that's really the next step, right? You can only replace so much meat production with ground products when you really can get into, somebody can throw a steak on the grill that's not made of meat. You're Then maybe you're really on your way to convincing people otherwise. Well, we're really excited about the prospects of making more whole muscle cuts we've made a chicken breast we have made the steak and we're actively working on that and that's the beauty of the Riza product that we're making is that because of its natural texture because of the way it naturally holds together and the fibers within it it just lends itself for lots of different whole cut applications and that's why we're having so much fun here in our product development team is developing these products sharing them with some of our customers and really getting to understand our ingredient a little bit better where can people get some better meat products or know that like they listen to this and they say dang i really want to try what she's talking about where can they go to the store right now and buy something that has some rise of microprotein in it at this time right now, we're not commercialized. Riza is not out on the market yet, but we are working very, very hard to get it out to the market. We're working with major partners, as you mentioned, like Hormel and other big companies to create some really, really delicious products that we hope to see out on the market later uh, within a year or so. Okay, cool. That's exciting. Um, so I always like to end with main guests, even though we're here to talk mostly about better meat, I always ask the same four rapid fire uh food-related questions that I'll ask you. And so let's get into that. What What is your favorite cheap guilty pleasure food-wise? Okay, so it's cheap price-wise, but my favorite, I would say, is Ethiopian food. There's a restaurant called Abyssinia in Sacramento. It is absolutely incredible food. They have this veggie platter that I eat all to myself, even though it's made for two people. It's so good, and uh, it's it's my um, – I always go there after a hike, especially when I'm really hungry, and I just want something that tastes delicious and is really, really affordable. On the flip side, what it, what's your favorite thing to eat if money was no object? Or what's your, what's your, what would your last meal be, so to speak? <laughs> my last meal? Um, well, I really enjoy Thai food, and mm. that can get a little expensive sometimes, but I guess I would eat as much Thai food as I could. Okay. <laughs> That's a good, good choice. I'm with you there. Um, what's your favorite dish to cook at home? Oh, my mom taught me this. Um, so I make um, steamed artichokes in a sauce called ricaudo which is basically just tomato onion and garlic and you just 
put it in the blender and make a sauce out of it and then you put the artichokes to simmer in there for a while and then it's just the most delicious snack oh wow that sounds really good artichokes don't get used well enough i feel like especially since we have in california everybody just steams yeah. it and dips it in butter or mayonnaise it's like there's yeah. so much you can do oh, with an artichoke <laughs> um what if what's the dish from your childhood that you wish you could go back in time and eat or that your mom will make you you know if you showed up having a hard day I, I have to go back to the tinga again that she made for me last week that is really my favorite dish and she has somehow managed to make it better than before and <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm an adult i know but i rely on my mom a lot for food related things so <laughs> I don't cook that much and sadly I haven't learned as much as she would like but yeah she makes she makes food for me all the time so I, I get to go back to my childhood a lot <laughs> that's great cool well Donnie thank you so much for agreeing to come on the Dine 1-6 it was really great to have you thank you so much Max I really appreciate it and I hope to have you back soon at the end of the tour Donnie took me into the large fermentation area, which was really cool. It was like something out of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory with these big chrome tanks and pipes and tubes going all over the place. And she showed me some bags of the dried rhizomycroprotein where the product is dewatered and the big dryers it tumbles through. And it was amazing to stand there and feel like this could be the beginning of something new, a new protein rich food that could really help sustain us all. <laughs> How much protein does rice have compared to some of those other proteins? Is it similar? Is it? It's it's about anywhere between uh, like 40 to 45 percent protein. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty high. Yeah. It's got uh, yeah more iron than beef, more potassium than bananas. Uh, you know, naturally contains B12. It's really truly a, a superfood. Yeah. That's going to do it for this episode of the Dine One Six. Thank you very much to Donnie Kirkendall and the whole Better Meat team for letting me tour their facility and for feeding me some delicious Riza bacon. If you like the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen on YouTube if that's easiest for you or visit our website at dine16.com. In this show, there's going to be all kinds of links in the show notes. There's going to be pictures on the website from inside the facility. I'll link to a picture of that mycelium bacon that Danica has on her LinkedIn page. If you want to know more about the Better Meat Company, you can go to their website, bettermeat.co. That link will be in the show notes as well. And feel free to rate and review the show. It helps more people find us. Or get some friends together. When that mycelium bacon's on the market, grab some of it, make some breakfast burritos, and listen to an episode. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Both handles are at Dine16. If you want to reach out to me with questions or ideas for shows, you can email me at max at dine16.com. Our music was provided by my brother-in-law, Mark Owens, and by Color Film Music. Join me next Friday for a very special guest as I talk to head chef and owner of Canon in East Sac, Brad Checky. Until then... Eat something you love with someone you love.